This morning at the top of your order of service, you see Matthew 5.44. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. As you spend time in silent prayer this morning, you can start thinking about who do, I, who do I need to pray for that may be an enemy in my mind or somebody who has persecuted me that God wants me to start praying for, that I can even start this morning. So you start thinking about that, pray about that a few moments this morning before we worship together. Father, while we were still sinners and your enemies, you brought us to you and saved us. And the same love you've shown to us when we were your enemies, you've asked that we show to others. And this morning, as that's part of our time of study and fellowship and worship, it's a difficult topic for us to address many times. But as we worship you this morning, and we focus on the God that you are, and what you've done for us and the great things you want to do through us help us to be open to your leading to obey you as part of our worship this morning may we not just come and listen but we want to be doers of the word and not just hearers so this morning help us be true worshipers this morning who worship you in spirit and in truth we pray this in Jesus name amen So greet one another for a few minutes.
may be seated, but please keep out your hymnals. And we're going to turn to reading 664 in the back of our hymnals. And just as a heads up, as uh, for what's coming up in the order, if you're not familiar with this, we uh, are going to have this reading together. And then immediately following that, we're going to stand and we're going to sing the Gloria Patri, which is just a few pages back on 622. And then we're going to stay standing on the inside front cover of your hymnal. We will read um, and recite the Apostles' Creed together, stating what we believe. So let's start together here at 664 on the reading Unity. Uh, I will read the light print, and if we could all please respond by reading the bold print together. I'll begin. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Before I pray, I just wanted to remind you of one thing with regard to next week. And as you recall, if you've come in late, we're having a special combined service, and our service is going to be starting the same time as our Bible school, 945. But I'd like to ask a favor, and that is for all of you that can do this, remember the ministry of remote parking. We're expecting there to be a lot of people here next week, many of them coming from a distance who are older in age in some of the retirement communities in Lancaster area. So if you can park off the main lot here, that would be a big help. And we 
often refer to that as the ministry of remote parking. So if you keep that in mind for next week, we'd appreciate that. Let's look to the Lord together now in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that just a few moments ago, we were able to sing from the very first hymn in our hymn book. We were able to sing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, God of Glory, Lord of Love. Thank you that you are the Lord of Love. May we be the people of the Lord of Love. May your love not only be ours to enjoy, but to flow through us and into the relationships that we have and even into the meetings we have with strangers. We ask that you would help us as we focus on loving those who are our enemies. Help us to be like the Lord Jesus. And so even right now, for this moment, for the second time perhaps in this service for some of us, we're thinking about our enemies. You've told us to pray for them. We desire to do that even right now, even in the quietness of our own hearts and lives. You know our hearts. You know where our minds are even right now. You know that there are those that we classify maybe not as enemies, but in reality we would if we were honest with ourselves even. There are those that we're holding things against. There are those that we may have a failing to forgive. Bring them to mind. May we pray for them and not against them. Help us to grow in our love for one another. We'll be singing a couple times today. They will know we are Christians by our love. May our love be something that is seen for one another. And may it bring credit to you as a result of the fact that we're your children. And thank you for the love that we as a congregation can share. Thank you that we've been challenged to help to show our love with Alden Cares and the food drive, providing food for those who are in our community, even in our church, those who are having a difficult time right now. May that love be on display. May we show the love that we have for those who come here to this church, for the care that we take for them in our nursery even, for the child care that goes on. And we pray that you would help us to meet the need that we have in our nursery, even for this very service, by providing those who are motivated by love and will show love and realize what a great ministry that is to the families who are there um, being taken care of in the nursery. May we be able to show love to the family of Dora McAllister in so many different ways. Thank you for those who will be helping with the service and helping to serve afterwards and those who will be sending cards, making phone calls, doing whatever they can do to show love when there's someone who's had a difficulty or in, in this case the home going of a loved one. We pray that you would help us to be able to be showing love to those involved in our support group ministries. Uh, we think about those who will struggle to survive the holidays. Thank you for the ministry for them. We thank you that we can be showing love in the anniversary of our Bible school as we welcome back those who have been here and maybe moved away. Uh, thank you for the love that will flow during the course of that particular service and the, the luncheon to follow. And may we show love to the people that we pray for weekly. May we show the support of the men and women serving in the armed forces, and in particular for Bruce Lefferts and for what's going on with regard to his stay in Italy. For our college students as well, may they know that they're loved because they know that they're prayed for. For Hope and Andrew in particular this week. For our church leaders represented by Dan Hagman. May each of our leaders know that they're loved and prayed for. 
for our missionaries, represented by Brian and Sandy Robinson, uh, as our love goes out to those who are serving you throughout this world. And for our love to you, seen in our giving, because it is an act of love. May we show you that we love you as we give cheerfully and sacrificially and purposefully the way that you've taught us. And thank you for the privilege of giving, for the ministry of giving, for the worship of giving. And thank you for the heart of each giver. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. This song is called, You Are Mighty. How many of you know that our great God is mighty? He's mighty in power. He's mighty in everything that he does. The scriptures continue to enforce his greatness and his mightiness. In Psalm 104, for example, there are passages of scripture that say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are a very great God. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Praise the Lord. And in all of these scriptures, there's exclamation points to emphasize how great and how we should feel when we read this portion of scripture. You are mighty. time we're going to sing a hymn but not from our hymnals inside of your bulletin this morning there's a little insert with a song that may by title feel familiar to called they'll know we are christians by our love 
Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the one we have in our hymnal, but I decided to have, try a different arrangement. And so we're going to sing this now, all four verses, and should be in there. And we're going to sing it again at the end of the service because I find it's very fitting for what uh, Paul's talking about today and throughout the theme of our order. So we're going to sing this together. So if you just want to listen to it once or if you feel confident enough to sing along with it even right now, that'd be great. So I'm going to ask the good doctor if he'd give us an intro and uh, then we'll sing through. They'll know we are Christians by our love from this sheet together. Father, so true the words that Jesus said that people will know that we're his disciples because of the love we have for one another. And in the scripture this morning, it takes it even a little further than that. 
May that love go from one another, even to strangers. Help us to be able to do something that may go completely against our own grain this morning. Help us to go beyond what we as humans ordinarily would. Some tough words for us this morning. And thank you that they're there and thank you that they intersect with us even right now. Help us to be able to be obedient to them. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're in Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to invite you to read with me. I'll be reading uh, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've learned that Jesus did not come to abolish the law. We've been seeing this in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in Matthew chapter 5 so far. References to the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus didn't come to get rid of them. He came to strengthen them. He came to make them better. came to fulfill them, or as it says, to fill them full. You look back, some of you don't even have to turn a page to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. One of the ways that the Lord Jesus came to do that, there were six of them that, that we saw a few weeks ago, but one of the ways was by giving teaching that furthered or strengthened the intentions of the original commands. There are six examples of how he did that here in Matthew chapter 5. And if you glance at Matthew 5, the earlier verses, some of you have subheadings. You'll see them, or you'll see them even if you don't have the subheadings. We've looked at five of those examples. Jesus came to fill full the commands, the scriptures that talked about the whole idea of murder and adultery and divorce and oaths and retaliation. This week we look at the sixth example, loving our enemies. And as we think in terms of loving our enemies, when you think of an enemy, what do you think of? What comes to your mind? I'm supposed to love my enemies, okay? Well, what is an enemy to me? Can you see the man in the black robe with the black mask? Can you see him wielding that small sword or long knife standing behind the American journalist Stephen Sotloff? Can you picture that in your mind? You know the one I'm talking about? You've probably seen it many times. There were more. Another one this weekend. No doubt there will be others. When you think in terms of that individual behind the mask, are you thinking that's an enemy? And what are you thinking about him when you're thinking about that? What are your emotions? Is there love there anywhere? Uh, or is it the whole idea of outrage 
frustrated outrage, like to do something, wish I could be there, like to, to see him get his just desserts. What's going on when we're thinking and picturing that man in the black mask? Or did stories of the ISIS beheading of Christian children get around to you right now? Do you think about ISIS as our enemy? Do you think about those who are involved in that? Did you go back maybe in your thinking all the way to 911? You think about the trade towers and you think about the four airplanes and you think about all the American lives on American soil that were attacked and were killed? Is, is that what you're thinking about when we're thinking in terms of an enemy? And in your imagination, in your minds, uh, think graphically about some of these pictures that come to mind. Or maybe you're thinking about the persecuted church around the world, all the atrocities that are taking place this very day. The atrocities that aren't new. You think in terms of the Christians in the arena, and you think about the Christians and the lions, and you think about the Christians and all that went on in the, in the arenas with the fighting the, the different soldiers, all that sort of thing. And now you think today in Afghanistan, in Syria, you go to Iraq and you go to Nigeria and you go to different places and you see that people are being persecuted simply because they're not Muslim or because they happen to be Christians or because they happen to be maybe from the West. Are you thinking about those kinds of things? And if you are, if you're thinking about those kinds of enemies, the message today may be very, very hard to swallow because you're outraged as a human being, as a patriot. Uh, there's a lot of anger that could be there, a lot of bitterness that could be there. All of these very hard images to dismiss easily. And it may not be easy for us as human beings to find love for enemies that have a desire to do all that they can to destroy what we hold sacred. To pray for those who are actually persecutors as well. Well, we need to see what Jesus said. And if you follow along in your outline in the bulletin, Jesus said, you have heard, in verse 43, you have heard. What had they heard? Well, they had heard that it was said, to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, on a human level, that makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't that make a lot of sense? I mean, they are the enemy, so we can hate them justifiably so. That's what we're supposed to do. What are we supposed to do? Pretend they're not our enemy? But Jesus said, that's what you've heard. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, where had they heard that? Six times we've been through similar scenarios in Matthew chapter 5. Most of the time, where they had heard something would have been in the Ten Commandments. But they would have distorted it over the years. In this case, they can't find this anywhere, what they've just said, to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It doesn't say that anywhere. It was commanded in the law to love your neighbor, but it came to be inferred by the Jewish religious leaders that to love your neighbor meant you should hate your enemy. You can't really love your neighbor without hating your enemy. Unfortunately, the rabbinic tradition had truly perverted the teaching of the Old Testament. That teaching in particular, if you turn to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 for just a moment with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself, it says. Now, if you look at the screen now, there are some pictures that have just come up recently. Uh, taking us back, because I really want us to feel this. I want us to see this. I want us to grapple and wrestle with this. This is the man in the mask I was referring to earlier. And you can see that ISIS is at work here, and there's a victim about to be shot. And I tried not to get graphic pictures, because they are very, very bad, some of the pictures that are around today. And you remember the trade towers, and you remember what was going on at that particular time. And going back in time, the persecuted believers, going back to the time, early times, first century, going back to, uh, well, going up to today, the things that go on, the burnings of whole villages and homes and people persecuted simply because of their faith. And then what had these people heard at that particular time? They're supposed to hate those enemies. But that's, that's what they heard. Where'd they hear that from? They made it up over time, little by little. And now we're at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and you see the underlining of the words, as yourself, that is something that they had forgotten. The as yourself part, apparently too demanding for self-righteous Pharisees, had fallen into disuse. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus came to bring truth and to shed light on exactly how it is that we should view our neighbors and our enemies. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was telling them an answer to a question that a lawyer had, who is your neighbor? And he said, here's what a neighbor is. And he talked about a Samaritan. The Samaritans hated the Jews as much as the Jews hated the Samaritans. And here was the Good Samaritan who came to a Jewish man who needed help and gave him help. Two Jewish people wouldn't have anything to do with him and passed him by two religious leaders. Jesus understood, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is anybody and everybody. That was the point that he was making. That was the point that had been lost by the people of, of, of Israel at that particular time. Here's what um, one individual has said with regard to the Gentiles. The Gentiles weren't neighbors. The Samaritans weren't neighbors. The only people to love for Jews would be other Jews, and they'd have to be the right kind of Jews and treat them the same way they wanted to be treated. Here's what one writer has said. A saying of the Pharisees has been discovered that reads, If a Jew sees a Gentile fallen into the sea, let him by no means lift him out. For it is written, Thou shalt not rise up against the blood of thy neighbor, but this man is not thy neighbor. It's little wonder, he says, that the Romans charged Jews with hatred of the human race. Because they loved their neighbors who were a very exclusive group of people and didn't care at all and in fact hated all of the other ones. Hatred of the human race. That's what Jesus was dealing with. That was what was going on at this particular time. That's what they had heard. That's what they were doing. Then Jesus came along. But I say to you, do you notice the, the but again, the contrast that has always been there all six of the times here in Matthew chapter 5. But I say to you, well, what exactly did Jesus say? Jesus ignored the part about loving your neighbors because that was a given, that was all there, but he, he jumped right to the heart of the matter when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Notice enemies is plural here. They come in all sizes and shapes. 
and they are more than international terrorists. We saw the pictures, we have the images, we're thinking about them and we're thinking, well, okay, it's, it's difficult to hate all that much at a distance. I, I'll never see these people, but our enemies are far more than international terrorists. They could be that sixth grader who made fun of the way you looked. And I'm not talking to sixth graders now, I'm talking to all of us who ever were that age. Could be that sixth grader, he made fun of the way you looked and you still remember that. He made fun of the way you tried to play sports. And you remember that too. I, I can visualize this in my mind, making fun of my artwork. I was not a great artist. Never have been, never will be. When they would say something like, I want you to sketch a cow. I'd try to draw a cow. And at the end of it, it would look like a house with eyes. And people could easily make fun. But think about that. Our enemies may be people who in our past did all sorts of things to damage our self-worth, our self-image, and we still remember that, and it still hurts. And for many people, it still affects the way they live. But maybe as we're thinking about who really is the enemy here, uh, Jesus saying here, love your enemies, maybe it was some kids or kid or kids in school who bullied you, picked on you, made you afraid to go to school, made it very, very uncomfortable to be a part of what was going on. You couldn't really enter into it. Maybe it was a fellow worker who lied about you. Maybe even during the appraisal time, uh, there were things said about you that were totally untrue. Here's a tough one. Maybe it was someone who hurt your child or someone that you love. Someone who hurt somebody really close to you. Maybe it was someone who stole from you, someone who cheated you, someone who got what you deserved, someone who broke a solemn promise and kind of pulled the whole rug right out from under you. Maybe it was somebody who abused you or beat you or screamed at you or rejected you or did the same to somebody that you loved. Maybe it was those who discriminated against you, who treated you unfairly, who talked behind your back, who gossiped about you who made you look bad, made you feel bad. Maybe it was somebody who made fun of you and then would have nothing to do with you after that because simply you went to church or you refused to party with them the way they wanted to or because you decided to save your virginity for your marriage partner and they couldn't understand that and ridiculed you and derided you as a result of that. Maybe your enemy is somebody who, who made fun of you because you carried a Bible occasionally or because you were offended at their profanity or when they took the name of the Lord in vain or misused his name. Maybe it was somebody in the past who decided that they would label you and call you a holy roller or a goody-goody or a deacon Dan or a religious fanatic or a cultist or a Jesus freak or worse. Again, enemies come in all sizes, all shapes, and they leave their marks and their, their prints all over us. And when Jesus says, love your enemies, not just talking about international terrorists, but he certainly is including them, and adding to that a list that could be very, very long. Let me ask this question. How do I know whether I consider someone my enemy? How do I know that? Let's say I'm getting serious already about this because Jesus says, love your enemies. Well, okay, well, who does this mean? Who are my enemies? Here's a good place to start. Ask yourself this question. 
whose name or what group came into my mind when this subject was first introduced this morning? Whose name has been there in my mind as we've been playing through all of these things? That's a good place to start. The name of an individual, a group, it could be uh, some of the terrorists, it could, could be anything, but whose names are in my mind right now with regard to that? Ask God to make it clear, because we certainly want to do what he tells us to do. There are enemies that are there, and sometimes we have a way of just kind of dismissing the thought. But we can't this morning. The scripture forces us to be thinking about that. Imagine how these words of Jesus must have been shocking. Maybe you don't have to imagine because these words are hitting you the same way they hit them the first time because you simply haven't been thinking about this for a while. Love my enemies? That's what he wants me to do. Love my enemies. Do you notice he doesn't even say tolerate them? He doesn't just say don't hate them. He doesn't just say don't pray for their ruin. He says love them. And even pray for the ones who persecute you. One writer has said all around him, that is all around Jesus, were these walls and fences that people had erected. He came for the very purpose of bursting those barriers so that love, pure, warm, divine, infinite, would be able to flow straight down from the heart of God, hence from his own marvelous heart, into the hearts of men. His love overleaped all the boundaries of race, nationality, party, age, sex. When he said, I tell you, love your enemies, he must have startled his audience, for he was saying something that probably never before had been said so succinctly, positively, and forcefully. Love your enemies, Jesus said. And they had to have reacted, what? Where's that coming from? Love your enemies. Well, we know where it's coming from. It's coming from the Lord Jesus, and it's inscripturated, and it's coming right at some of us right now. Notice also that we are commanded to love our enemies. It's an act of the will. It's not an emotional feeling. It's not offered as an option or a suggestion. It's an act of obedience. To turn away from it is to turn our back on the direct word of Scripture. Let's look further, picking up at verse 45 and asking the question, why did Jesus ask us to grant grace and mercy to our enemies? Why did he do that? Well, he does that for us for a reason, and it's always the reason that we profit from. And the first thought here is so that we could be like our Heavenly Father. That's exactly what it says in verse 43 excuse me, verse 45, so that we can be like our Heavenly Father so that we would do what children do. That's to emulate their Father. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. In this case, it's good to emulate our Heavenly Father because that's what He does. So we're going to grant grace and mercy to our enemies because we want to be like our Heavenly Father. That's what He does. So loving our neighbors, praying for those who persecute us, it says here, makes us sons and daughters of God. It actually demonstrates that we're sons and daughters of God. No good works actually make us into God's family, but it shows that we belong. How does our Heavenly Father treat people? Well, it says here that He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good. The Son. 
a great benefit, a great blessing to everyone on the planet. We couldn't exist without the sun, but the sun does so many things. Some of them the Lord, some of them that we don't think about very often. But think about the benefits of the sun, that he doesn't withhold from the evil. He doesn't just allow for the good. The sun gives us light, obviously gives us warmth, gives us photosynthesis to help grow plants, gives us vitamin D. You know, we don't have to use the vitamin D in the bottles if we're out in the sun more often. Also, it gives bone health to older adults. It helps to heal psoriasis. It aids the body in the production of melatonin that helps us to sleep. It aids with depression. It does so many nice things, not just for the good people, not just for believers, but for everybody. That's how our Heavenly Father treats the people of the world. He gives this good thing to everyone. Not only that, He sends rain for everyone, the just and the unjust. And he does it for a purpose. This is what theologians refer to as common grace. God gives this to everyone. Common grace. Why? It's a testimony to who he is, to his love. And if it's a testimony to his love and we're his ambassadors, then we should be treating people with that same love. Acts chapter 14, verse 17 tells us this. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. Part of the witness that God left on this planet is what, what it says next. For he did good by giving you rain, rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness, God's love, it's seen all over. It's seen in the sun and the rains and everything else that he does for us. The fruitful seasons God gives to everybody as part of his witness. Why? Because he wants everybody to come to repentance. He wants everybody to come to know he is the God of love that we've been singing about this morning. Why did God ask us to grant grace and mercy to our enemies? First of all, so that we could be like our heavenly father, the God of love who doesn't apportion his love only to those that are special to him, but to everyone. And a second reason is so that we will show that being children of God makes us different than those who are not children of God. And we see that in verses 46 and 47. If you glance at those verses, you'll see once again. Verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. In other words, that's easy. Anybody can do that. The hated tax collectors can do that. The people that the Romans hired to come out and collect your taxes, and they cheat you, they extort money from you, they charge far more than the taxes because they get to keep whatever they can get from you above the taxes. They were hated. And if the worst people around the tax collectors if they're able to show love to the people that love them, uh, who cares? Anybody can do it if they can do it. And so that's a, a point that's very clearly made. It's normal and easy to greet our brothers, it goes on to say in verse 47. Our brothers there would include family, but also those who are close-knit to us, the fraternity of brotherhood and sisterhood. It's normal and easy to greet them. But again, how is that different than anybody else? Anybody can do that. Even the Gentiles do that. 
So if the tax collectors who are hated and the Gentiles who are hated, if they can do this, and that's all you're doing, you haven't done anything laudable or rewardable. There's nothing good in that. Well, what I'd like to do now is, and don't get your hopes up, this is a very long conclusion. Um, because we need to apply this in our lives. It's crystal clear what it's saying. But we need to think about this and we need to react to this. And so we're thinking about this in terms of the fact that not only are we to love those who are our enemies, but we're to pray for those who persecute us. That's a good start to loving them because sometimes we don't even know where to begin. How am I going to love my enemies? A good place to start is to love them. And that's what should happen. As believers, it should happen at least some of the time because all of us as believers at one time or another either have or should experience persecution. You know the verse. You know the verse very well. It says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. What that is saying is that if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they're going to be after you. If nobody's ever come after you and you never experience any persecution, you need to check the color of your uniform because you might have put on their uniform. You may be living just like they are, undercover, incognito, so that nobody even knows that you're a Christian because to be a Christian is to invite persecution. To live a godly life is to talk to people in such a way that they're going to come back at you because they don't want to hear about the Lord Jesus and they don't want to see that in us. I want to share something about an individual that I read just this week from a magazine from Voice of the Martyrs. Some of you are familiar with Voice of the Martyrs who minister to those throughout the world who are persecuted. When we read something like this, what goes on in the world we realize that we have no idea the extent to which people are being persecuted, killed, burned out throughout the world because they're Christians. Habila Adamu and his family were awakened by the sound of someone pounding on the front door of their simple home in northern Nigeria. It was 11 p.m., well past the hour for a neighborly visit. So the only reason for someone to be at the door was an emergency, or worse, an attack on their village. The pounding on the door was followed by the sound of men yelling for Habila to come out with his family. Habila rushed to get dressed. When he entered the front room with his wife, Vivian, and their young son close behind, he faced intruders wearing robes and masks. One was armed with an AK-47. Habila said a short prayer to the Lord. After announcing that they were there to do the work of Allah, the men began to question Habila. They asked him his name, his profession, whether he was a policeman or in the military, and whether he was a Christian or Muslim. I am a Christian, he replied. Vivian was terrified, knowing the men were members of Boko Haram. That may, name may not be familiar to you, but I think that you've heard of them. Boko Haram though the group was only started in 2002, it has recently become a household name because of its highly publicized kidnapping of about 270 schoolgirls in Nigeria. And while the group claims a violent objection to anything Western, its current leader released a video this year clearly stating 
his jihad or holy war was against Christians. This war is against Christians. I mean Christians, generally the infidels. Allah says we should finish them when we get them. These were the people that just came through his door and were now in his house. The intruders told Habila that they were giving him the opportunity to live and live a better life. If he would only become a Muslim and say the Shahada, the Islamic profession of faith that includes there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. They even asked him to join them as a member of Boko Haram. All the while, Habila was prepared to die. I am a Christian and will always remain a Christian, he replied, even to death. Turning to Vivian, one of the men said, if your husband does not cooperate with us, you will watch him die. Believing that her husband's death was imminent, Vivian cried with fear and grief. The intruders repeated their offer to Habila, and he again refused. Your husband is stubborn, the men told Vivian. They asked her why she couldn't convince him to deny Christ and live a good life. Don't worry, Habila told his wife as the rifle was aimed at his head. The death of a Christian is a great gain, not a loss. The men looked back at Vivian and demanded that she bring them all the money they had. She scoured the rooms of their small home, grabbing anything of value that she could find, hope that the men would be satisfied and spare her husband's life, but it wasn't enough. The man with the AK-47 placed the, placed the barrel next to Habila's mouth. Since you refuse to become a Muslim, he said, here is your reward. Then he pulled the trigger. Habila fell to the floor as blood streamed from his face. Vivian cried out in horror. Shut up, woman! yelled one of the attackers. If you try to get help, we will find you and kill you and your child. The men kicked Habila's leg to make sure he was dead. Satisfied that they had done Allah a service, they chanted, Allahu Akbar, Allah is great, and then left the house. Minutes passed, and the pool of blood expanded around Habila's body. As Vivian cried over her husband, she heard him gasp, I am still alive. Please get help. Her heart filled with hope as she rose quickly from the floor. She struggled to open the door of the fence in their yard before realizing the attackers had locked it. She finally managed to leave the house and run to her neighbor's home. The neighbors called the police for help, but they never arrived. Habila didn't get to a hospital until 6 a.m. the next morning. During the attack in November 2012, Boko Haram raided the homes of more than 30 members of Habila's church. All of them refused to convert to Islam, choosing to die rather than turn their backs on Christ. Habila and his family were the only survivors. Habila was transferred to several hospitals in an attempt to get him the medical attention he needed. When his medical records were later reviewed by a voice of the martyr's medical worker, he said it is only by God's grace that he survived. Habila was scheduled to undergo a, home, uh, excuse me, a bone graft to repair his cheekbone, which was destroyed by the bullet. But before doctors began the operation, they were shocked to see that his cheekbone had healed. There was no need for the graft. Today, Habila continues to share his testimony with others. Now, why have I taken your time and read a very long article? I've done it because of what comes next. How do you react in a situation like that when somebody has shot your cheekbone out shot you right in the face, terrorized your wife and child, killed your friends in your church. How do you react 
in that situation. What would Jesus say? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What would most human beings say? That's impossible. That's asking too much. You could never, ever expect that. When the voice of the martyr's worker asked Mr. Habila how he feels about those who shot him, he said, we are condemned criminals. Christ died for us. He loves us. That's why we must show that love to the people that hate us. Since that day, I pray to God, God, forgive them. God, forgive them. My prayer is that they will know the truth and be saved, not to be condemned. I love them. Even if I have the opportunity to see them, I will hug them and I will pray for them. When asked how he could forgive the men who tried to kill him, Habila replied, because Christ is love. The God I am serving is love. He commands us to love each other. It seems impossible. And yet God calls us to that. What else seems impossible? The conclusion in verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We said earlier we're emulating our heavenly Father when we act the way Jesus told us to act. It tells us that we've got to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect, Greek word teleos, means to reach an intended end or a completion is often translated mature. But here it means perfect. We're to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Is that possible? No, not perfection in that way, but it should be our target. We should always be heading in that direction. We have the standard that is set for us. We're to emulate our Father. We're to be like Him. Do what He does because we want to show that we're His children. That's the call. It's all consistent with the verses that have gone on before. No one should be dismissing this teaching. All through the Sermon on the Mount, it hasn't been easy. But it shouldn't be dismissed as being too unreasonable, too hard, being so difficult that I'm not even going to try to do it. We have a standard to try to attain to. We have the Holy Spirit, and we've got the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to do that, even though it won't come naturally for us. We don't have to be like everyone else. We've got to be more than that because we want to be like the Lord. We want to represent Him well. The tax collectors, the Gentiles, they can love when it's easy, but who's going to love when it's hard? And who's going to love when it's impossible? The children of God are going to do that, his real children. Perhaps someone is thinking, my enemy is beyond loving. I will not pray for him or her. You don't know what that person did. And no, I probably don't know what that person did. But I know someone who had enemies who ridiculed him, who spit on him, who beat him so severely that it wasn't even recognizable as a human being, who mocked him in all kinds of ways, including plating a crown of thorns on his head that not only was an indignity but had to be extremely painful. I know someone who was nailed to a cross and who said from that cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I know that's someone who has told us that we're also to be that way. Joe Stoll said this, if you were to ask me who I am, I'd tell you that I'm a follower of Jesus. 
But I have to admit, at times following him is a real challenge. And then he kind of reviews for us where we've been in Matthew chapter 5. A real challenge to follow Jesus. He tells me to do things like rejoice when I'm persecuted. You go back to verses 11 and 12. To turn the other cheek, verses 38 and 39. To give to someone who wants to take from me, verses 40 to 42. To love my enemies, bless those who curse me, do good to those who hate me, verses 43 and 44. This kind of lifestyle seems very upside down to me. But I've come to realize that he's not upside down, I am. We have all been born fallen and broken, being twisted by sin. Our first instincts are often wrong, which inevitably leads a big, leaves a big mess. We're like toast, slathered with jelly that has fallen upside down on the kitchen floor. Left to ourselves, we can make a pretty big mess of things. Then Jesus comes along like a divine spatula, scrapes us off the floor of our sinful ways and turns us right side up. And as we follow his right side up ways, we discover that turning the other cheek keeps us from getting caught in a brawl, that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and that dying to self is life at its best. After all, his ways are not our ways, and I've come to realize that his ways are always best. Are we ready to accept what he has to say, even if it goes against our human nature? Even when it's hard, anybody can do it when it's easy. But you're not anybody. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words that are here. From your word, from the Lord Jesus himself. And thank you that as we look at them, and we see how easy it was for the people of that day to be content to simply love their neighbors, especially when they could define who their neighbors were and weren't. But when Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he wanted us to be sons of yours. He wanted us to emulate you. He wanted us to be able to show your love just like you do to everyone. Because anybody could love their brothers and greet their brothers, but you're asking us to do more. And we're asking for your help to do it. So please help us to that end. Help us so that we can be setting or seeking the standard of perfection just as you are and we thank you in Jesus name amen well as I mentioned earlier we would be using that insert one more time and we're going to sing this uh, arrangement of they'll know we are Christians by our love for our closing song let's all stand together and, and sing using this insert Baby.
like that arrangement, Derek did it. If you didn't like it, I'm not telling you who arranged it. <laughs> Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I'd like to pray for the man in the mask. It's hard to do because there are a lot of other things I'd like to see happen to him before I'd like to see him in heaven for all of eternity. But I know what Jesus said. And I know that myself and all of us, we've got to pray for that man in the mask and we've got to pray for those that you brought to our mind, each one of us. We've got to pray that you would put something, someone into the life of each one of them who can shed light on your word, who can point to the Lord Jesus, who can cause these people to repent and to receive forgiveness of sins that comes only through the Lord Jesus himself. Please help us not to be like those Christians who are just like everybody else in the world, who are bitter and angry and hateful against those things that certainly are wrong. They're wrong all around us. And we've seen Christians who haven't lived like children of yours. Help us not to be named and numbered among them, but help us to truly be known as those who love because our Father is a Father of love. So we commit it to you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.